0: What's up, guys? It's Oro, and this is ours and welcome or welcome back to the Two Brothers in Their Sports Podcast. We have another great showliner for you guys, and yet another interview. This time with U.S. Women's National Team uh, physician, and he works on the medical staff of the Washington Nationals, Dr. Samir Nagda. We're also going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Juventus and signing and reuniting with Manchester United, which was his first club team. If you enjoy this type of content, consider subscribing and leaving a like. They're both free and we it helps it goes a long way to promote our content. So thank you so much. Now, enjoy the episode. So I think the deal by Man United is an amazing deal for them. It's I think they're going to be the front runner for the Premier League title and for the best record. They are going to be amazing, just like I think PSG is going to be dominant. Same thing with Man United. I mean, now they have Ronaldo, who used to play for them 12 years ago and 13 years ago. In 292 games, he had scored 118 goals, like 10 or 12. Yeah, 12 years ago, I'm pretty sure. And uh now I believe I believe he wasn't even in his prime then and now I think he's still in his prime, but it, it it'll start declining in a few years or maybe he'll keep going strong or maybe he'll retire. But I think that he's still in his prime right now. So I think that he'll be really good this year with Man United and that they're gonna be very good in the Premier League and the front runners. So I agree with most of what you just said. I think Ronaldo, this is a great move for Ronaldo's re-signing with Manchester United. Um, and I, I, again, I don't know why Manchester City actually pulled out. They they had the funds, and they they uh, let go of Sergio Aguero to Barcelona. So it would have it would have made a bunch of sense. Plus, the the past two days leading up to this have said that Manchester City was the front runner to sign him, and they just pulled out randomly. We don't really know why that is still, but they just randomly pulled out of this deal. And so Manchester United is reuniting reuniting with uh, Ronaldo. Or rather, Ronaldo's reuniting with Manchester United, and they were already on fire. They won their first game, and Pogba looked amazing on it when he came back. And now they're adding well, Ronaldo. Well, I don't think that winning one game is on. fire. I know, but I'm just saying that they looked really good in that game. Yeah, I and agree with exactly. You. And then they added Ronaldo now, and so now they look even better. And their whole their whole squad is um their whole squad is like relatively young and the the only exceptions are like Pogba who's relatively older and um and then you have uh Ronaldo who's 36 and you're arguing he's and he's still in his prime. I completely disagree. There's no way he's in his prime. I assume they'll look better with Ronaldo and I assume that the chemistry will work, will work there just because of the type of player Ronaldo has been over his um has been over his career. He's been whatever team he's on, he's always been like a He's had chemistry with all the players, and now you—they added uh, Manchester United, added Sancho, they and Pog was back, Varane is back, Cavani, so and Rashford is there too. So now you know that they had—they we knew they were already such a talented team, but now you add um, Ronaldo to that, and I, I assume that Sancho from the midfield and Ronaldo playing striker or left wing will have some chemistry just from the fact that they. Well, Sancho's such a good player and Ronaldo is also such a good player. So, good players typically tend to have chemistry. Explain why you think that Ronaldo isn't in his pr- in it isn't in his prime and tell me when you think his prime was. Okay, the I'm saying that Ronaldo is not in his prime, but he is such a good player. But that ha- even why do think I'm he's telling not you in his prime? I'm telling you that even though he's not in his prime, he is still a good player because he, when he was in his prime he was, like, the best player in the world. It was him and Messi. So, I, the reason I think he's not in his prime is because I think his prime ended after his first year in Juventus. Which, that's only, like, two or three years ago. So, it's that's relatively new. But, I mean, that's relatively recent. But, I think his prime was also longer than most, sort of like a Tom Brady. Again, Tom Brady's not in his prime. But he's such a good player that when he's not in his prime, he's still really good. That's what I'm saying with Ronaldo. That's exactly why. Ronaldo's prime went from his second or third year in on Real Madrid to his first or second year in on Juventus. That's when his prime was. And I would disagree with that because I think that he's still playing amazing. And last season, his average was .71 goals per game which is crazy for he, for Ronaldo. Even for Ronaldo, that's crazy. So I think that Ronaldo is still in his prime. To almost score, to score more than 0.5 goals a game is insane, which he did. Last season, he scored 35 goals in 49 club matches, which is amazing. And I think that that's not out of your prime, even for Ronaldo or Messi. That doesn't mean that you're out of your prime if you can have that many goals Okay, if, if per that's game, a normal player and he's averaging 0.71, game, .71 goals per game, that's still really good. But Ronaldo in his prime averaged more than that. So you can't just say that this year Ronaldo did good because he averaged .71 because you have to compare that to his prime. And his prime was more than that. That's why I'm saying he's not in his prime anymore. So the point is that this was such a great move for Manchester United, adding depth alongside Jadon Sancho, who they signed um, during the transfer period as well. So it their team is just getting better and better, and they're they have they they a lot of their team was injured last year. They're still a, relatively a lot of their team is injured this year, but they're making a comeback, and they're still I think like um, they're going to be front runners. Or to win the Champions but, League alongside PSG, or they're they're but they're definitely going to win the um, Premier League here's why uh, you're unless wrong, it's then. Manchester City. Here's why you're wrong. You say that in his prime that he didn't do that well. You said his prime ended his first year in Juventus. His first year in Juventus. I said it. His prime started. His first. No, I mean, I you his said prime it ended, ended in his first. Year. His first year yes, in Juventus. Yes. He scored 33 goals. Then he scored 49 goals. And then he scored 44 goals. So you're wrong in that. Is fashion. that is that due and, to more games? And, and, I in think that's 20, and in 2017, which was before his first year, when he was still on Real Madrid, he only scored 41 goals. So his prime was not... You can't say that his prime was then if he still hadn't gotten that many goals. And you said his second or third year, his in his first year at Real Madrid, he scored 34 goals. But and there's parts of his... He scored 48 goals in uh, his third year or second year... Real Madrid. Exactly. So the point is that the last two years, they the amount of goals he scored, and I know goals isn't everything, but the amount of goals that he scored last year and two years ago, those seasons he's gotten more goals than a bunch of seasons. Okay, but what is the? Let's talk about the reason for that. The reason for that is because Juventus played. The reason is because Juventus plays more games. Number one. Number two. It's also because due to the fact that Juventus. Who would you argue has better players, Juventus when right now when Ronaldo's on them, or um, when when Ronaldo's on Juventus? or Real Madrid when Ronaldo was on Real Madrid. But that's that's easy. That's Real Madrid. Because Real Madrid was a dynasty when Ronaldo was there. So that's exactly why Ronaldo didn't need to score as much. In he, Ronaldo's he's fourth still year a better player on Ronaldo. I mean in, on Real Madrid. In Ronaldo's fourth year on Real Madrid, which you said was in his prime, he scored less goals than he did 2 years ago with Juventus and they played less games in Juventus. With Juventus than they did that year with Real Madrid, so you can't say that in his prime he he played less games because he didn't he played more games in that season and he still scored less goals. So that's why I didn't need to. That's why I believe he's still in his prime. (laughs) And now for our amazing interview with Dr. Samir Nagda. Dr. Samir Nagda is a sports medicine and shoulder specialist at the Anderson Clinic. He evaluates and surgically treats problems of the knee, shoulder, and elbow, and is also a member of the prestigious American shoulder and elbow surgeons. In addition to his clinical practice, he is team physician for the United States women's national soccer team, and was part of the FIFA Women's World Cup champion team in 2019. He also traveled with the team to the Rio 2016 Summer Olympics. He has also been a physician in the Washington Nationals organization for seven years. He is a founding member of the Mid-Atlantic Shoulder and Elbow Society and has a Certificate of Added Qualification in Sports Medicine. Dr. Nagda, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us on this wonderful day.
1: Thank you guys so much. It's an honor to be here with you guys. I'm so excited for what you guys are doing. It's really fun.
0: Thank you so much. So to start off, as a child, were you into sports and did you play any sports or multiple sports?
1: Yes, I loved sports. I loved reading about sports. I loved watching sports, and I loved, you know, playing sports. You know, back when I was a kid, we didn't have ESPN. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, all the stuff where you can check on sports players and Twitter, where you can kind of know what all your athletes were doing all the time. So you had to read about it in the newspaper once a day, and you had to or or go to the game. Or talk to your friends about it. So it's all about what we what we did every day. We just talked about stuff and sort of wondered what was going on with these athletes and what was in their head. You know, now with Twitter, you guys know what's going on. So for us, sports was something that we always wondered and wanted to know about more and more. We had this thirst for knowledge about sports. So yes, I loved sports. I wanted to play it all the time. I played basketball. I played some soccer. And I uh, ran a lot of track in high school, but basketball was probably my main sport and baseball too, mainly because I liked the uniforms, but that was it. But then also the football was fun too, but where I grew up, the, our football team was terrible. So it wasn't as, uh, as uh, something that I was interested in as much.
0: And then what is the typical process like for taking care of professional athletes as you're a sports medicine physician?
1: That's good, good, good question. I think, how do you get to that point? There's, there's a couple of things. You have to be good at what you do. And to be good at what you do, you have to be trained well. So you have to you know, go to uh, you know, good college, good medical school, good residency, and learn sports medicine to the best of your knowledge, and then be good at what you do. And then ultimately, you have to be able to relate to athletes well. You know. And that's where to come, playing sports really comes into handy. So if you can relate to the athletes well and explain to them, hey, this is why you have an injury and this is what it means to you, and understand what they're thinking from their side of standpoint, like, hey, this means that I won't make the national team or this means that I won't get a, drafted into uh, the NFL. or This means I won't get you know, a college scholarship. If you understand that side of things, you can really relate to them well. If you can relate to them well, then they will understand that you are good, not only from a, a physical standpoint, like you know your job and you can diagnose them well, but you can relate to them and they can they can be able to talk to you and they can, you know, um, explain what their fears are to you. That's what makes a good sports medicine doctor. And as you are a good sports medicine doctor, then you get bumped up the ranks from being a high school doctor to, you know, hey, you get to get to take care of a college. Or, hey, now you've been invited to take care of a professional team. And, uh, and if you do well at every step of the way, you get to stay there and you get to kind of you know, flourish there.
0: So how do you go about the situation if a player wants – one rehab or surgery process, maybe to get back on the field faster. And then uh, the team wants something else to make sure uh, to say, for example, the player heals properly and then he can come back to the organization. And then you recommend an entirely different thing. How does that process look like and how do you go about that situation?
1: That's a, that's a great question. I mean, what happens is ultimately when you are a sports medicine doctor, you have to bridge the line between taking care of the athlete and taking care of the team. You know, So it may be that your top player goes down with an injury the three days before. If that athlete is your patient, you know, and you've taken care of him or you are taking care of him, you have to make sure that what you do to that patient and what you explain to that, that athlete takes into account, not only the short-term benefits of, Hey, if I just gave you an injection to numb your knee up, you'll be able to play in this game versus, Hey, if you do that, and you injure your knee further, you might never play ever again. And so you really have to explain to the patient. That's where their their ability to trust you comes into play. Because if they trust you and say, "Listen, he's got my best interests in mind," and you say, "Hey, listen, you could play tomorrow, but here's what you risk. And if you don't play, then here's what you gain by you know not not playing and not risking further injury." They understand that you have their 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 their. Uh, best interest in mind, and if so, then they're going to listen and, and, and bridge the gap. Now, sometimes even though you say, "Hey, I want you to play," I think you can play. They may say, "I don't can't play," and then you have to explain to them why. Okay, fine. If that's the case, I'm not going to argue with you because you don't want to argue with someone who can't play. You don't want to tell someone who can't play that they can play. Um, you know, and, and so so you have to do that. And there are many times where we have to get second opinions when it's like Silicon. If you don't think that's the case, great, go see someone else. Or if you want to get a surgery to get back faster, go see someone else because then you can see if that will happen. And, and then we send them to other people, you know, and with athletes and their, you know, and their, uh, we call it their, their agents. They can jump on a flight, go see someone somewhere else, and they can get another opinion. If they like their, that opinion better, whether it's more conservative, more aggressive, they're free to pat- fall on the, along that path. You know, but our guide, our job is to guide them to the best of our ability to make sure that we they don't do anything that is you know long term damage to them. Um, that would provide that they'll wake up one day and say, "If I'd known that, I wouldn't have done that surgery. or I wouldn't have played that game." You don't want to ever be in the position where you didn't explain to them what their risks and consequences are for every decision they make.
0: And in your opinion, does being a vegan or vegetarian give athletes? a significant benefit in the rehab process and on a performance level?
1: We don't know that for sure. For some athletes, I'm sure it does. And for some athletes, I'm sure it doesn't. You know, every athlete, every person, every gastrointestinal system, every person's you know, whole makeup is different. And so some people will do much better as vegans, and some people will do much better eating, eating meat every day. So it's, it's, it's a, that's a personal thing that I don't think we have the answer to.
0: Yeah, that's basically along the lines of what our last interview, Dr. Jesse Morris, said. He said some athletes uh, benefit from having meat and some athletes actually perform better because there's no. Yeah, he said there's no uh, firms or no data describing if it's actually better or not. So that makes sense.
1: Exactly. Yep. And
0: then to be on the Nationals medical staff, how did you get selected to be on that uh, in that organization? And um, what is it like taking care of those so many great players? Obviously, Bryce Harper was there. um, And then you have so many other great players there as well.
1: Yeah, it was a great organization. It's it's, it's a fabulous organization. They really do a great job with trying to grow the tradition because it's a new organization, right? It started in 2000, um, I think, three or four. um, And in 2008, they really got to the new stadium and all these things happened. So it's a very young organization, you know, so they've really done a great job. Of, of, of taking care of them, so the all the people around them, you know, to, to make a, a great co- cohesive unit, you know? So as far as that, they've, you know, with, when you get asked to that team, they, they had a head team medical physician. So yeah, my friend there, um, who is the head team physician asked me to help out with him. And, uh, you know, cause we need about four or five doctors to really cover all the games because there's, you know, so many, you know, close to a hundred games in baseball. You, one person can't do it all unless that's their entire life. So we did it as a group and uh, and I was part of that group and it was just an amazing experience to be part of a, a group like that.
0: Talk to us about the process of how you get selected to be the physician for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team.
1: With the uh, U.S. Soccer Team, it, it is a lot of word of mouth, you know, um, they're looking for, you know, the best, of the best to be able to take care of these elite athletes. And, um, and I had a call one day from a friend of mine, uh, we trained together at Penn and he asked me to help him take care of the, uh, men's, uh, Olympic team for the U uh, S now the men's Olympic team for the U S is a group of, 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 athletes that are all under the age of 23. It's called the men's U 23. And that team is only formed every couple of years. For the Olympics and they just formed it about two years ago for this last Olympics in hopes of trying to qualify for the uh, uh Tokyo Olympics and unfortunately they didn't qualify for the third Olympics in a row. And so what happened in 2016 or 15, where I had been asked to take care of the men's uh Olympic team. We did and it was a good experience, but unfortunately we didn't qualify. But the point at which we didn't qualify was about um March or April of 2016, about three to four months before the Olympics was about to uh, take place. But with all the credentialing and the, you know, permits and all the paperwork that you fill out for the Olympics, all of us, including the men's team, had filled out all this paperwork. And so I had been already approved to go to the Olympics. However, our team that i had been approved for didn't make the they didn't make it. And so as a result, I was on the outside looking in. However, you guys may or may not remember in 2016 in Brazil, that also transpired in the entire U.S. There's a virus called the Zika virus that was going around. That was, you know, not causing a lot of issues to people who weren't females, but to females who were pregnant, it was causing issues in terms of um, uh, you know pregnancies and things like that. And so um, that virus was really rampant in uh in brazil and so where we were going to go for the olympics was where the head you know the 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 epicenter of this virus was and as a result the uh physician who was going to go with the women's team didn't want to go you know for personal reasons because he and his wife were going to have issues with potentially um the virus and so as a result he asked to stay back and then so they asked me to go so i went with the team and when I went with the team, they asked me after the Olympics to, turn, to just stay with them and uh, be one of their team positions and switch over from the men's team to the women's team. And that's how I got to be with the women's team. And then once I, they, they liked me, I just stayed with them.
0: Wow, that's, that's such a crazy story. Um, yeah. What are some of the best memories you had? With the women's team and even the men's team, including traveling where you went, including Brazil, obviously to the Olympics, uh, winning any games, goals, moments, or anything else like that.
1: Yeah, I think the uh, for the men's team, the best uh, you know experience was I think just taking care of the the, the boys who were there um, because they were under twenty three at the time, so they were young boys, um, and they're just all good people. They're now all members of the. Uh, you know, men's, uh, uh, us, uh, not not us national team. They're just all good people. So taking care of them was really fun and, uh, they're just all good people and just, you know, hanging with them and getting to know them was really great. Um, for the women's team, I think the best experience was, you know, being able to just kind of sit and talk and hang with a lot of the players and just kind of get to know them as persons, you know, as people, because there are just, you know, great people, um, but uh, I think probably the best experience was, you know, when we won the goal, uh, the World Cup, you know, when we won that in, in Paris or in Lyon, um, it was just a great experience jumping on the field and just, you know, knowing that we would worked so hard for so many years to get to that point and to actually go through, win all the games we needed to win with all the pressure that was put on us. It was, it was just uh, one of those experiences of a lifetime.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then you talked about this a little bit when you were able yeah. to jump on the field in Paris Um, but what was it like winning it all, um, specifically and what was running through your head when you won the U S women's national team in 2019, uh, for the world cup?
1: Yeah, it was great because, you know, you go through your whole career, you know, trying to become a, a doctor and then a a physician for sports medicine. And as you go through all that and your goal is to get to a team that is, you know, going to win something because that's the sports medicine, you're part of the team you want to win. And so you want to do the best of your job as a physician, but you also want to win. So when the two come together the, and you know that, hey, I did my job to the best of my ability and we, we won as a team, it's sort of the pinnacle of all of things coming together. You know, So I think that winning that uh, uh, gold, uh, the World Cup, I think was just one of those moments where it was very surreal where you realize, hey, everything I've worked for up to this point, you know, just, just happened, you know, and the clock is zero and we just won wow is that it you know like that was amazing and so it was just one of those moments that you just never you know forget you know I still remember when the clock hit zero on that we jumped onto the field I just looked up and I said there are 70,000 people here looking at me going wow that's awesome that these guys did this and then you know who knows how many people watching on tv and we are here celebrating because we just did this it was one of those surreal moments which you just never forget.
0: And we've seen a lot of athletes talk about this recently, including Simone Biles on the global stage, pulling out of the Olympics. But what is the balance of the mental and physical aspects for those players playing during such a critical time? It must, have, it must be so much added pressure and buildup, in addition to playing a stressful game already. What do you think about mental health?
1: It's a ton. It's, it's a ton of pressure. And, you know, uh, as North Beach Surgeon, I can't speak to mental health as much but as a sports medicine physician, you can tell the mental health side of things, you know, there's a fine balance between, you know, watching, you know, athletes and letting them go and letting them, you know, telling them that, hey, we need to pull you back because of this or that, you know, then they start worrying about their injuries and stuff like that. There's so much pressure on them as they are going through their careers, not only up for their own personal selves in terms of making sure they make the team or stay on the team, but also in terms of performing well and functioning well, I mean that mental health aspect, you know, is so important. You know, even uh, with both the the uh, U.S. national team and the Nationals, we have a sports psychologist that we utilize, you know, uh, very religiously to make sure that they athletes have a you know great sense of understanding of the hey, if I'm feeling something that is you know you know, a uh, problem to me and that's given me trouble, there's someone I can talk to that I can work through to help me make sure that I achieve my best me that I can without, you know, uh, uh, you know too much trouble.
0: And we talked to Dr. Gregory Dale, who's the Duke University sports psychologist. He was talking about sports psychologist. Um, yeah. he, he works for the Duke University base, uh, basketball team. So he, especially for basketball and especially on, on Duke stage, um he def- he said basically the same thing you were saying so yeah. that that goes along lines, um along the lines of what he was saying and you've been around so many athletes in your medical career what have you seen them do that puts them above all other competitors
1: that's a great question i think the ones who are at the top they never stop to to think all right i've achieved it i'm good you know they always are like I got to keep motivated because I got this, I got to get that, you know? So there's always this other goal or other mentality. Like, Hey, I'm not there yet. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. That's what make people who are the best, the best. You know, there's a reason why when you win a championship, it's hard to repeat because many people, many athletes will say, Oh, I reached the top. I'm good. Right. And so then they like slack off a little bit. And so for the best of the best who make it, to the seven super bowls like tom brady or the you know three world cup like carly lloyd you know there's that just constant pushing on the gas pedal that they never relent on you know and that is what makes those people the best because you could easily say hey listen you know you guys have the best you know youth podcast around great let's just hang out let's chill we've been viewed viewed as the best podcast there is what else do we got to do right but no you keep going, you keep increasing your, you know, your, your, your focus. You keep just building on what you got and keep elevating the game. That's what make the greats, the greats.
0: And you actually read our minds here. Um, we were going to talk about how, well, I'll just, I'll mention it anyway. Tom Brady said that his favorite ring is always the next one. So that yep. he said, that whatever he wins next is always what he's looking forward to. And then after that, he's focused on the next thing. So, and he's already the go to football. So, you know, that he's one of the best players if he's doing that. And then you also talked about Carly Lloyd, who just retired today, which was such a great achievement for her, for the, she was able to play in three world cups. She had a hat trick against Japan in the world cup finals. So she was such a great player to be around that U S women's national team and to be such a great mentor for all those people. That's, she had a great, great career, um, perhaps maybe to the level of Mia Ham. Like she was that. I think that she was that. Uh, she changed the U.S. woman national team that much. Um, and then what advice do you have for aspiring doctors and athletes to help them manage pressure and stress?
1: The big thing is you have to acknowledge that the pressure is there. And if you feel it, you have to acknowledge it. And then everyone handles pressure in a different way. And so you have to be able to handle it and handle it well. But you then have to say, listen, I'm not an expert in handling pressure. If I am not doing a good job of handling pressure, there are people out there who are experts who can help me manage this because I'm a good athlete. I'm good at what I do. But this may may not be what I can do well. And if I can't, I have to be able to find someone who can help me with that. Just like you would get a coach. If you can't kick a ball well, you get a coach to help you kick the ball. You know, if you can't shoot free throws, you get a coach to help you shoot free throws. If you can't handle the pressure and stress well, even though you're a great athlete, well, then you know what? You need to find that coach who can help you do that. And whether it's someone who helps you meditate, whether it's someone who helps you just visualize, whether it's help you, someone who helps you calm down or, you know, or someone who helps you put blinders on and forget about it, one way or another, you need to figure out what your angle is to help you you know, deal with it and you have to deal with it. But the first level is to acknowledge it and make sure that you, you know, tackle it head on.
0: Yeah, that again, great, great advice. And thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Nagda. We really enjoyed talking to you about your career, taking care of all those professional athletes for the nationals, U.S. Women's National Team. Um, And then that advice at the end, I'm sure will be helpful to so many of our listeners that are aspiring to be athletes. Um, And even if they take the sports medicine route, like you did, I'm sure that would be helpful to so many of them. So again, thank you so much for joining us um, and have a great rest of your day.
1: Absolutely, guys. You guys are doing great. I look forward to listening to the rest of your podcast as you come forward here.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Two Brothers and Their Sports Podcast. If you guys enjoy what you hear, consider subscribing. It's free. Also consider leaving us a like. It goes a long way to help promote our channel and helps us get our viewers out there. So thank you guys so much. Also, consider leaving us a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you tell us a subject you'd like us to talk about, we may feature you guys in the next episode. Until next time, we're the Two Brothers and Their Sports Podcast. Deuces.